Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, we've been talking about microphones a ton lately. Well, trying out a lot of microphones all the time can get really expensive because there's no return policy on microphones because thank you, germs, right? So we've partnered with MikeRentals.com to make that happen. That's who I was using to try out microphones. The great thing about it is instead of spending $1,000 on a mic capsule, you can pay a very small portion of that and just rent it for a day, rent it for a weekend, and then send it right back. So we want to make that easy for you guys too. So if you go to MikeReynolds.com and use code MXU15, you'll get 15% off your rental. If you have a large custom order for wireless mics, maybe for a kid's camp or a large choir, something unique, and you want them to put together a custom order for you, you can do that too. And just mention MXU15 when you're talking to those guys and you'll get 15% off that order as well. So go check it out, www.mikerentals.com. If you're new to MXU and don't really know what's going on around here, you have to sign up for MXU Now or MXU Teams. We have new content coming at you all the time and our latest batch of videos were about the Yamaha CL5. Now, I'm excited because I'm not a power CL user like Lee, so I need to go and learn from Lee about some of the ins and outs of the CL5 that I don't know about. But we got a great comment from one of our guys on MXU Teams the other day about the CL5. He says, at MXU Lee, I thought I knew the CL5 inside and out after using it weekly for the past seven years. But just going through your video on cue, monitor, and talkback showed me stuff I didn't even know was there. So thanks. So that's what we're about. We try to just introduce you to all the features that a console has to offer. So if you're interested in that or other console videos that we've done or anything about mixing, go to MXU now and sign up today. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 65 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here as always with Lee Fields, and we're just glad to be here today. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great after that interview we just had that everyone else is about to listen to. I'm so excited about what you guys are going to get to hear today. Should we just keep it a secret until we announce it? Well, they read the title of the episode. Oh, that's true. So. They, read the, they read the description. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, Chris Tomlin's on the podcast today. Yeah, my good friend Chris Tomlin agreed to um, talk with us today and share some of his stories and wisdom. And he's just such a such a good guy. He's funny, man. He is. I miss hanging out with him. I told him in the um, pre-show, he was on this podcast I've listened to a few episodes called Dadville, and it's one of the first episodes. It's hilarious. That's awesome. You got to go listen to it. It's uh, Dave Barnes. It's his podcast, and it's with another guy. I don't know who it is. Sorry if I'm offending Well, Dave you. Barnes is a funny guy, too. Yeah. So they just talk for an hour about just crazy stuff. And I didn't realize how funny of a guy Chris was. You know, you just, you, I guess you don't know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. How have so, you yeah, been? We're excited to let you hear from him. I'm good. Um, hey, so in the last few weeks, you've done something pretty interesting I think we should talk about. Okay. You helped our friends at Church of the Highlands with a problem they've been having. Yes. And sounds like it's going smashingly. It's going really well, yeah. So um, they reached out to us, actually, about um, how their pastor was a little frustrated that kind of how things were feeling in the room. Well, they were frustrated, too. 
Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But but once the once the pastor's frustrated, then things tend to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they've been frustrated for a while that they just felt like they couldn't get the whether it was a tuning issue or a deployment issue, they weren't quite sure what it was, but that there were some issues going on with their room. Yeah. And you know, there's plenty of PA, so there's no reason why it shouldn't sound awesome. So pastor had gone to another church to guest speak and came back and basically said, I don't know why my seat at our church can't sound as good as the front row in this other church. And so that led to them reaching out to us to go, okay, help us think about what might be going on because we've tried to fix this a few times and it just hasn't gotten dialed in. So, um, Sorry, I heard the room before this new PA went in. So how many years ago did this new PA go in? Man, I'm not exactly sure. It's been... Three, four? It's been a few, yeah, three or four years. So maybe five or six years ago, I heard the old PA. And it was great. Well, I sat on that second row. I was with our pastor who was there for an event. So, you know, we got the dignitary seats. Uh Uh-huh, VIP. So I'm, yeah, I'm one row behind... uh, Church of the Highlands pastors, their their leadership team. And I remember telling Luke, that is some of the best sounding first and second rows I'd heard. There yeah. was, it was a line array in there, I think. It was an older system when the building had been built. But on the floor right near us was an EAW SB1000, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think it matched the PA. I think it was something different. But they put these like front fill subs in and some fills, and that front row was rocking. Yeah, so when the new PA was designed, leadership had made the aesthetic choice that they didn't want to have any subs on the stage anymore. And there were steps that were going up to the stage from the floor level, so there was no way to put subs underneath the stage. And so all of the subs in the new PA deployment were hung above the stage in a sub array. So they had 12 double-18s hung above the center of the stage. Yeah, the SP-1000 was gone. So in our sort of measurements and consultation, we found that there was a lot of sub-energy up in the air, yep. but not enough on the floor to make it uh, punchy at all or feel like you were getting yeah. kind of hit in the chest. And the front fills were built into the steps of the stage. And so it was a very small speaker and it was hard to get much SPL out of those front fills. So in the new design, the church basically agreed to rebuild the front of the stage. And so they took off the steps and built the stage out over where the steps were, which enabled us to be able to put subs on the ground under the stage and use the remaining subs. So we took half and put them on the floor and half are still in the air, but they're acting as low frequency extension from the main PA. Yep. So yep. there's three subs aside hanging beside the, the main array and then six subs on the floor for uh, low frequency on the floor. And they were able to replace the front fill speaker with a much larger speaker. So instead of a four inch driver, it's an eight inch driver and it just sounds great. The full acoustics design and treatment of the room isn't finished, but the PA redeployment was up and running for Easter and it sounds great. Yeah. 
rows one and two back to rocking. <laughs> yeah, lots of punch yeah. and you know, pant legs are moving and you feel like you're getting hit in the chest a little bit. And just having a bigger yeah. having a bigger front fill, I think, just gives you a more kind of full resolution experience. Dude, I I am such a fan. I don't even want to say fan. I I feel like everyone should do this. Front fill speakers should not be less than speakers. Right. It's like, here's your full PA with 12-inch drivers and you know big high frequency drivers but then on the front fills you put a single four inch driver and a tiny it's like a studio monitor on the floor right or it's like an am radio speaker it's like no this is this needs to be engaging like this needs to this needs to fit you know fit the rest of your sound because if people are in the front row underneath the coverage of the pa there's no way they're going to hear the mains in the way you're hearing them at front of house. Yeah. So you got to have a way to, to add some more punch. And like, you know, you, you go to a, an arena tour, you know, the speakers that are on the lip of this downstage edge are usually at least eight inch drivers. Yeah. You know, on our tours, we would always have the front fills were the same speaker component that we had for our side fills. You know, we would carry, like if it was L acoustics, we'd have K1 or K2 for our mains and then Cara for our side fills and front fills. Yep. And it was just, it was a great way to kind of have, you know, here's this eight inch driver who's, you know, the front row is probably, I don't know, 12 to 15 feet away from the downstage edge sometimes. And so you got to have something with enough power to hit those people, especially when they're standing up. So to have something that's a full range speaker is so important. Yeah. And even like I see portable church miss this a lot. I'm not talking about the company, Portable Church. I'm talking about the set up teardown church. Portable churches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you'll have, you know, Mackie speakers on a stick and subs, which I think is a fine choice for people if that's what yep. they got to do. But then nothing in the front. And those speakers, like the point and shoot speakers, they're not wide enough to get to the front right. rows, even if it's a 30 foot right. stage. You're going to miss it. If it's a 90 degree speaker, you just, you just draw the angle. Right. It's like, well, there's a pocket of people down front who aren't getting any of that. Totally. I'm I'm fine with getting a JBL Eon with a 12 yeah. in it and just putting it in the in the hole there just so that there's a little more oomph. Yeah. You know, $400 powered speaker is better than a than nothing. Definitely. So, which brings us to another yeah. topic. So, we got a message this week about sub deployment and yeah, and you you kind of just mentioned it like uh, low LF extension. Yeah. Subs in the air and subs on the floor. So we get asked this a lot. Like, do you put subs on an ox or are they on your left, right? And that question, I don't think can be answered with just a yes or a no. It's like, well, depends. And I think you and I agree on this. I think so too. I think it's a lot of preference, but I think you and I are quite the same. So like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so this is a debate that we've had over and over, and I've kind of changed my position a little bit over the years, too. So part of the reason why people liked the idea of doing aux-fed subs, especially back in analog days, was because it gave you the opportunity to have granular control over what information got into the subs. You know, most of those consoles had a fixed high-pass filter, either at 80 or 100 hertz. So if you engage the high-pass filter, let's say, on your speaker mic, and it was only at 80 hertz, well, some plosives or P-pops or other things that would get into that mic, 
that were above 80 but less than, let's say, 200 could still get into your subs depending on the crossover. And so an OxFed sub enabled you to only send to the subs exactly what you wanted to be in the subs, you know, kick, bass, keys, whatever. Yeah. The problem with that is that if your subs are on an aux and you change that aux send throughout the program, you run the risk of essentially messing with the overall timing and tuning of the PA. Right. Because time alignment and phase alignment is so important at the crossover point between the mains and the subs. Yeah. So the crossover frequency um, basically has to be in time from the mains to the subs in order for the PA to perform optimally. And so if you change the level of that low band because the aux master changes or the send level to that aux master changes, then you'll render the alignment inaccurate. And so the crossover frequency then changes. It's almost like your crossover point becomes variable, and then the system will no longer be phase coherent through that crossover. And it could cause pretty serious time alignment problems throughout your PA. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to do it, obviously, on the console side. But ideally, I kind of default to answering it this way. I want as much low frequency in the air as possible, okay? So if it's just a line array, a small line array, and no flown subs, I'll take that crossover down as low as I can. Now, what I'm not doing anymore is using... Um, external crossovers and manually lowering it. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're basically in the day now where the DSP is built into the amps, right? Right. And you pick the profile of the speaker. So like take a Nexo S12 on the amp, you pick S12 and then there's an option. Do you want this crossed over at 50, at 80 or 110? You know, same thing for any speaker, yeah. Kara, DMB, you, you get to kind of decide that. So if there's no subs in the air, I want that to be as low as possible to get as much LF in the air as we can. Because I do think that even if it's it only goes down to 60 hertz, you get better coverage of that 60 hertz when it's, when it's in the air. it's a part of the line source with everything else. Yeah. Right. And I think like when we had K1 on tour, for example, you know, those boxes, I mean, that's a 15-inch driver. Oh, gosh. They're massive. The great thing about the sound of that PA to me was how good it sounded low. In other words, what yeah. I got out of the mains at 70 hertz, at 60 hertz. At 40 with that box. It was so punchy and powerful because it was able to reproduce those frequencies. You know, So why would I want to not take advantage of that capability by only relying on the subs for that? It's like, no, I want that full range as full as it can be all the way down. Yeah. Now, what you sacrifice with that is the punch, yeah, right, and volume. So now let's go to like there's subs in the air. Okay, let's say there's four dual eighteens in the air on each side. Like that's a we're talking a big yeah. system here. If you put those same four dual eighteens on the ground, just with them being on the ground, they couple with the ground, and you get more output out of them. Sorry, I guess that's not the right phrase. You don't get more output out of the driver. You get more perceived volume and more SPL because when that driver moves forward, it also moves backwards and it vibrates the floor. And then that floor is actually 
doing something too. So you get more volume out of it. Yeah, the way the way it couples with the floor is very significant. Whether it's concrete in an arena or whether it's a, a carpeted floor in your yep. youth room, that coupling with the floor has an acoustical effect. And then if it's on the floor and backs up to another wall, you get coupling off that wall too. Right. And if it's in the corner and there's a side wall and a back wall and the floor, you get coupling off that also. That's why like at your house, move your home theater sub into the corner of the room and see how much louder yeah. it gets. You're going to get like double the volume out of it. Well, the same thing applies to live sound. It's like where that sub is. So if you've only got, oh, we're only going to buy two subwoofers, you may be better off putting them on the floor just so that you can get more SPL, more LF, more punch, yeah. that that direction. I you have to have such a robust system and tons of it and a perfectly tuned room to get punchy subs that are only in the air to to me. I know that's an opinion, but I have not seen it many times where there's no LF on the floor and it's tight and punchy. I totally agree. I think if you're in a situation where you're restricted to only having flown subs, you're going to be missing some of what you're going for. Because that induces other potential acoustical problems like the low energy that's going up and out of your roof or causing right. mechanical you know, vibrations in the room through HVAC systems and ceiling tiles and other things that might be subject to some of those low-frequency sound waves. Because you know, as, yeah. as those sound waves get lower in frequency, the directionality becomes more omnidirectional. So for people who aren't familiar with yep. that, the lower the frequency, the less directional the sound wave. And so if yeah. you put all this low frequency information 25, 30 feet above your head, and those sound waves are more omnidirectional, then they're going behind the stage. They're going up and out the roof into the parking lot. They're going, maybe they're rolling around above the acoustical clouds that you might have in your ceiling. And so it could cause some interesting problems um, as you're trying to get more volume yeah percept perceived volume at front of house you might be doing more harm than good because all the volume that you think you're getting is actually going away from front of house. away yep uh so three more things i want to hit on this i'm going to say them so i don't forget them so uh omni and cardioid subs and then mixing actually what we're doing with the aux or if we're putting on the left, right and decisions there. And then the third one's timing. Right. Okay. So tell me if you're all really important. subs. So, uh, DMB SL sub, right. That's the, the bad boy of the town right now. It's a, I'm not sure the driver size, it's an odd size. Maybe it's like a 19 or something, but it's cardioid. And what that means is you've got your dual drivers, just like you'd see in any other sub up front, but there's a third driver in there that's actually making it cardioid so they use time and delay so that you get cancellation on the backside of the cabinet and the idea the reason for doing that is so that it pushes the energy forward since those sound waves are more omnidirectional it it uses that phase cancellation to yep. push more of the energy out the front of the speaker grill rather than just around the whole sub enclosure itself so you know, in the old days before cardioid boxes that were kind of doing that within the enclosure, we would have, let's say, three subs 
in a row, yep. and we would turn the center of those three backwards. So whether they were, you know, stacked side by side vertically or whether they're laying down in a in a stack, the middle sub would be turned the other way around to try to enforce that same effect. Yeah, and then the top two subs would be delayed to align the drivers all up together, which would cause cancellation on the backside right. of, of one of the cabinets. So it's a great way to keep sub energy from going up under the stage and vibrating people's feet and causing weird lobing and stuff under the stage. Right. And force more of the energy out into the audience. Another way to do it was using um, some amps, again, DSPs built in, would have profiles. So like the Nexo was one of these. Their, their big NX 4x4 amp. You could pick the RS-18 sub, but it would ask you, do you want this to be Omni or Cardioid? But there's only two drivers. But what it would do was just use the second driver yeah. to make it Cardioid. But here's what people forget. When you do it that way, and the same thing with the example of using you know three subs stacked together and one in the middle is, is reversed, you lose SPL. Right. Because making one of those drivers cancel, you're losing SPL. Right. So that's another like, well, it's quieter on stage, but we lost a ton of output. As opposed to having those three you know, SB subs all facing the same direction, firing at the same time, it, it 100% sounds different. Yeah. And I don't know if this is still the case with, you know, everybody's getting better and better at this, but like the Nexo sub, it was not as tight and punchy in cardioid as it was in Omni. You could hear it. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a volume thing or or what, but I, I've I've heard that. It's not just a Nexo thing either. Even like stacking three L acoustics together and putting them in cardioid. Yeah. It's not as tight as it was if they're all in Omni. But if you're the worship leader on stage with a condenser microphone that's already got bad, you know, low end, man, that can cause some serious issues and the yeah. whole deck's rattling and it can it can get pretty gnarly. You know, it's deciding on compromises and trade-offs. But the bottom line is the physics and the math doesn't lie. And so this is where the timing issue becomes more important than really anything, is making sure the time alignment between subs and between the subs and your front fills and your mains is correct. But then also how to use time delay among your subs to change the low-end response in the room. Totally. So, and then where do you time from, right? you, right. you got to pick a spot, and that, and that can cause some issues. So if you have an array of subs across the front of your stage, say you've got six subwoofers across the front, and a line array is hanging above it, but the line array is six feet actually behind it, like the actual rigging point. Well, you need to get all of that LF in time with each other. You don't want the subs arriving to the listener before the mains right? because of the crossover, because there's probably overlap. So if you've got 63 hertz in your PA and you've also got 63 hertz coming out of the sub, you can create a scenario where you don't hear the 63 hertz because it's arriving out of time and there's cancellation happening. Right. So it's really important to have everything in time. There was an old trick we used to do. If you didn't have enough sub, you could actually delay the sub past the PA, you know, five to 10 milliseconds. And 
it would feel like the subs got a tick louder because they're arriving after the PA was. Right. But because so much of the transient information isn't in the subs, it didn't really matter because who cares if you're, you know, if the subs arriving late because there's no vocal, there's no snare drum, right. there's no acoustic, there's no none of that information is really even in the subs. Right. Yeah, you could trick people into making it sound fuller because it was just late. <laughs> That was a good thing to do with a big 850 rig with the subs stacked on the bottom, the tops. You know, everything's in time. But then if you put those subs about another 10 milliseconds behind, it's like it's not competing with all the LF coming out of the tops. And you heard it later and it felt like it was louder, even though it actually wasn't. Yeah, just growling at you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so then you got all your subs in time with the line array. Everything's like at zero. Well... If you think about six subwoofers spread straight across the stage and all the drivers are pointed straight out, it's going to create, you know, a 40 foot wide, very tight box of energy throughout the room. But then the people on the far left and far right outside of those subs, they're kind of missing out. And you can, you can set this up, like go download DMB's array calc, Mm -hmm. drop some subs in, um, select 63 Hertz, like 50, 40 and then hit play, and it'll show you what that's doing. But then, if you delay those to make a virtual arc, so like a half circle shape, so your center subs you leave at time zero, and then the next pair on the outside, delay those three feet, four feet, and then the next subs outside of those, delay those three or more, four feet. All the same. You got Whatever time you pick, you have to pick the same. Right, right. And then hit predict. Then you're going to see, oh my gosh, LF just went further. It went a lot wider. A lot wider, yeah. So it's almost now like you're pointing the subs in a half circle throughout the room. So that's something we're seeing people do in tons of designs because it's such a good way to get that tight, low energy throughout the room. Yeah, so that's part of what we did with the subs at Highlands was to, there. there's six subs on the floor and it's a dual 18 and so that's exactly what we did. The center two are zero. The next two out are, I don't remember if it was three feet or so. Three, four, six, whatever, however many, you know, milliseconds. And then the outer ones, that multiple again. And it just takes the whole thing and kind of evens it out across the front of the stage. And it, it helps because there aren't as many, you know, power alleys and there's not as much yeah. lobing it, it's a much more even response and it's a wide room so to have that added width is really helpful yeah and you still you still do get some power alley so the outermost subs they couple together at the center of the room that's where those wavelengths overlap so you get summation you get yeah. an additional 3 db at that frequency so everything is stacking towards the center. It gets louder. So another thing you can do is actually shade the outermost subs down. If you have them on separate channels, you can say, let's turn those down 3 dB. The next pair on the inside, turn those down 2 dB or uh, one and a half. And then the center ones leave the loudest because the center subs in the center are actually coupling the least in the middle of the room. Yeah. So that's another thing you can do. Well, I think the point is that it needs to be in time somewhere yes. and as, as many places as possible. So if that means that the whole image is 
wider, especially in the low end, so that it's more consistent throughout the room, that's going to be better. I think, you know, for people who haven't done a lot with this, I think it's so important to get somebody in to assess and to listen who is really good at this because yep. this is where kind of the engineering and the math really matters because it's going to impact the art and the creative of the mix. If you don't have this right, it's going to be harder to mix well. Yeah, don't go test all this out because we just said it. Right. With your room. Really, seriously, go download DNB, go to their website and download Array Calc. Build your room. And even if you don't have a DNB PA, it doesn't matter. Right. We're talking physics here, right? right? So go build your room, drop some subs in there, maybe where yours are, and hit predict and look at, hey, yeah, 40 hertz. Look what we're getting here. We're getting this giant buildup in the middle of the room. Maybe that's why we're getting complaints here. Like, it's just science, right? So it, you can actually predict a lot. You can maybe you do want to make some changes, like maybe, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of experience to really know. Anytime you make one decision, you're actually making three other ones at the same time, and you might not you might not know it. Yeah, and every decision, every everything that you try to fix is going to impact those other things. So it's yeah. like. It's almost like two steps forward, one step back. So all the more reason to bring in somebody who's great at smart analysis or great at acoustics design to just go, okay, what what do I need to be paying attention to? What do you hear? What am I missing? How can we make this better? Um, but before we leave the time alignment, we didn't even talk about how you know when they're in time. And that's what we're talking about with hiring a professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you may think it's in time because it sounds like it is, but it might not be. So you have to get someone with some tools who knows what they're doing. Um, okay, mixing. Subs on an aux or on the left, right. I think there's a couple different scenarios where I would choose different ones. Like if it was mixing in a club on an 850 rig, that feels like it should be on an aux. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's a Maybe it's preference, but it just feels like, that type of environment and that mixing style with that type of speaker feels more like, oh, no, put those subs on the aux to me. And just turn it all the way up. Yeah, I could be <laughs> totally contradicting myself halfway through this. I may realize it, but that's I would default to that. Maybe that's because I've mixed on that enough to know, like, usually I got better results that way. And then another scenario where I would have them on an aux is on a killer PA with LF in the air that felt tight and punchy without the floor subs. Yeah. Then I would put the floor subs on an aux and use them as fill subs or extension. Right. It would just be really just to kind of supplement what's already in the PA. Yep. That's what I would say too, as a, just a general tip. Um, I don't think enough people work on their mix with the floor subs off. Yes. And I think if you start there, like get as much, like you said earlier, get as much low frequency information out of your mains as you can. Whether that's just your main line array, if you have a big enough driver to do that, or if you have supplemental low frequency extension in the air, get as much as you can out of the mains and then dial in the floor subs as just a an added oomph, an added layer. Because if you if, if you have, let's say you have a, you know, six speakers aside with an eight inch driver and no real low end in the air. 
and you're relying solely on your floor subs and the crossover isn't quite getting high enough on the subs or low enough on the mains, yeah, you're just going to be frustrated. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that's kind of what we have at Bayside. It's it's a 12-inch driver, but it's a single 12. There's eight boxes a side. It goes to 50, and it does pretty good, but it's not enough. So I put the subs, Aaron and I, on the left-right. Yeah. Because we want the whole thing to sound like one deal. Like one thing. Yeah. Yeah. But another reason we did that is because on the console, the way we like to mix is with groups. And the groups and the oxes are in the same uh, output structure on the console. So if you're mixing with groups and you put your kick, the low end is on an ox, ox fed sub, and then you change the level of the drum group, it does not change the level that you're sending to the subs. Yeah, and that's what I meant earlier about the crossover point and the perceived point at which the low end is hitting you is going to change because right. your aux isn't following with that level of the group. Gotcha. I was kind of wondering when you said that, I was like, I need to ask him about that. That makes more sense. Yeah. So because I like to mix with groups, um, that's another reason. And... You know, now we're, everybody's got broadcast consoles, but before this year, when everybody's feeds were coming off the left, right, if your broadcast mix sounds super thin and yeah. there's not enough low end and your subs are on an aux, I bet you what you're doing, instead of adding a 60 hertz shelf on your kick drum, you're instead going to the aux. You're going, I need more low end in this kick mic. I'm just going to add more to the aux. That's right. not the right way to do it. Right. Even if you have aux vet subs, I don't think that's the right way to yeah. do it. Because your channel EQ yes. is what's getting to your broadcast mix, not the that's aux. Right. Yeah. Right. So, again, a great way to do this, turn your subs off completely when you're getting dialed in. Get it sounding as good as you can that way, and then turn the subs on. So add low low end to the sub or add low end to the kick drum. Add it to your floor tom. Add it to your tracks. Add it to the bass guitar. Don't just reach for aux sixteen and go to three o'clock. Yeah, totally agree. There we go. Cool. You know what, Jeff? We should do a series of videos about all of this for MXU now. Funny that you mentioned that because as it turns out, we are actually going to be at D&B's North American headquarters, yeah, recording said videos with some of their experts. So they're going to talk to us all about PA deployment and tuning and low-frequency management and rigging and coupling yep. and line source and point source and all these things. And immersive. And immersive, straight from the manufacturer's mouth who build and design these systems every day. So we're really excited. So stay tuned to MXU now because that content will be coming soon. Um, the most, uh, what I'm most excited about on shooting that trip is we've, we've written this down. It's not done yet, but I think we can pull this off. We're going to do two identical mini series in that. And it's how to design, deploy, commission, and tune a sound system for a 100 seat venue. Top to bottom. Yep. So we'll get plans for a middle school cafeteria and a small budget PA and how to use, pick out the right ones, predict what it's going to be like, and then we're actually going to set it up and tune it 
And then we're going to do the exact same thing for a thousand seat room. So then we're going to take drawings from a church that's maybe a new construction or a PA remodel and, and do the exact same thing. How do we pick out the speakers that are best, predict what's going to happen. Then we're going to set them up in DMB's shop and then time it all up, get it toned, put some tracks through it. So beginning to end, how to, how to design a PA and tune it. I love it. The other thing that I'm most excited about is the fact that DNB is based in Asheville, North Carolina, and right down the road from DNB, like ten minute drive, is the eastern half of the United States distribution and center of production for Sierra Nevada Brewing. Oh, really? Their tasting room is amazing, and their food menu is even more amazing. So. We're going to get to go hang out at Sierra Nevada as well. Well, their global headquarters for Sierra Nevada is an hour from my house. Fine. Point well taken. (laughs) But for those of us who live east of the Mississippi, it's nice to have an East Coast option as well. Okay. That's great. But anyway. I thought you were going to say, uh, what's that? Remember that old theme park that had the cheesiest commercials that's in Maggie Valley, North Carolina? What was it called? Oh, in Maggie Valley. Do you remember that? The only theme park that I know of there is Santa Land. There is another one. Maybe it closed. It was called like, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but it was called like uh, Devil Town or something. I don't know. Well, I just remember growing up seeing these terrible commercials. Death Trap USA? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, I found it. I, I found it. I just okay. Googled it. What is it? Ghost Town. Ghost Town. Okay. You remember that? Um, trying to forget it, actually. <laughs> it's, well, it's a devil town. <laughs> it's Ghost Town. Ghost Town, USA. Bring your kids to Devil Town. Anyway, there's a picture of it on if you Google this, and it's like an old pioneer town, and it's been shut down for years. There's weeds growing all over all the buildings. Oh, that's awesome. It's like an episode of The Simpsons. Well, we haven't done Turn Down for MXU in a while, and you mentioned a few minutes ago about getting some complaints about sound. So I figure, you know, we've gotten a couple in the last few weeks, so we need to we need to do a Turn Down for MXU. Yeah. So lately, we've been, we've been getting most of these from our MXU team's Slack channel. So um, we got one the other day. Guy sent a screenshot of his phone from his grandmother. <laughs> And it's got one from my grandmother about our live stream today. So she's sitting at home. Grand, you know, Granny's just sitting at home listening to church on TV. Her text says, music better, second half. Maybe they woke up late. They sang louder. I want to know how many other people out there get texts from relatives about the quality of their live stream. Oh, probably, I would say at least 80%. Yes. But Granny, in this case, as one of our guys on the on the Slack said, Granny is savage. And I, I totally agree. <laughs> That's awesome. Another one of my favorites is, um, here's another one. Had a guy last Sunday come up after and let me know all he could hear was bass guitar in the mix. I asked him where he was sitting so I, I, could, I could diagnose the area. He pointed to the seats that are about three feet from the subs. I suggested he move to a spot further from the subwoofer, and he let me know that he, quote, understands music 
and he should be able to sit down right in front of that sub and still hear everything in the mix perfectly clear if we were doing it correctly. I kindly thanked him for his input and said, have a great day. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So to our point earlier, you know, if you're sitting on the sub and you're not in the coverage of the main PA, I don't care how much you, quote, understand music. It ain't going to be the same experience because you're not in front of the PA. That's amazing. I feel like, should we do an unnecessary censorship of this one? Oh, that would be a good idea. All right. (laughs) So let me read it again, and we'll do the unnecessary censorship. I had a guy last Sunday come up after and let me know all he could hear was in the mix. I asked him where he was sitting so I could diagnose that area. He pointed to the about three feet from the I suggested he move to a spot further from the and he let me know that he and that he should be able to sit down right in front of that and still hear everything in the mix perfectly clear if we were doing it correctly. I kindly thanked him for his input and said (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. Okay. Well, should we get to the interview? I think we need to, yeah. After that, I think we need some... um, some grace and good thoughts from a worship leader. I think so too. So good to see you, man. You too, man. How is the family? Man, it's uh, the family is is growing. <laughs> <laughs> man, I mean, nothing like a global pandemic to uh, oh my gosh, you change everything. But if, yeah, if twenty twenty was not surprise enough for the for. Everybody to throw a baby in there. And, yeah. And it's, it's the best, but but that's definitely been the best part of last year and this year. I, I, Elle is four months old. And so I have three girls now. And uh, yeah. So, so sweet. And uh, that's awesome. Definitely girl dad full on now. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Chris, I heard you on the Dadville podcast. I don't know if I've laughed that hard in a long time. That, that podcast is so funny. Oh, I, I mean, that was. I was like, I mean, as you can tell, I was laughing the entire time as well. I, yeah. I just, I mean, my stomach was hurting after the, after that. Those That's guys, so man, they are just, I mean, they're just piece of, just every comment. You just don't know what's coming. Right. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. By the way, did you guys watch the, um, the ACM awards Sunday night? I saw some of it. I saw about, I saw probably half of it. Did you see Carrie Underwood? Her and CC Winans did uh, stuff from her new album. It was Amazing Grace, Old Rugged Cross, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, How Great Thou Art, kind of a medley. It was incredible. It, it was like, I mean, we were we were just like done. It was so awesome. Well, I'm about to. Uh, I'm working on my new Christmas record um, yep. right now, and actually, it was all last week pre production, and we and uh, CC's doing Oh Holy Night. Can you imagine? Oh, oh my! I gosh. can only imagine. <laughs> That's going to be insane. Yeah, it yeah. is. Unreal. So you got, obviously, a new record that you're working on. And so what's, obviously, the the latest record was a total departure from what you'd <laughs> previously done. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, knowing you for all these years, I know that you've always kind of dreamed about being a, you know, in the middle of country music. So from your first concert being Willie Nelson up to recording with all these great friends and 
such a departure musically from what's been going on. First of all, it sounds great. The songs are great. I just, I can't believe that Russell Dickerson, by the way, has become Russell Dickerson. But right. in all that, like what, what's that transition been like? What's the experience been like? It's been really fun. You know, something I didn't see coming. You, you mentioned it. And I always loved this. My first concert ever, five years old, my dad took me to Willie Nelson. And I, I remember it was Reunion Arena, which is, they imploded. It's no longer exists in <laughs> Dallas, Texas. But it was this big, you know, the big arena in Dallas. And I remember going, I was five years old, sitting in the very, I mean, talking nosebleeds. And I remember the Texas flag and furls and from the top. And Willie walks out and does this concert. I thought this is the most amazing thing. Had an interesting smell in the air, as you can imagine. <laughs> at a really nice concert. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> but, uh, um, but that was uh, that was my first <laughs> first introduction to music, and yeah, I this this record. So you talk so full circle, man. You talk full circle in my life. This is this is it, and um, this record just happened. It really happened out of people who know me like you would think. Well, you've been working on this and figured how to, how to do it. It's just not true. I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't trying. Wasn't looking for it. It all these relationships just started coming. Um, at this, at the same time, I, I connected with Thomas Rhett over um, just in a, in a divine way. I was, I do this thing called Good Friday Nashville, right? Each year, and every year I try to bring a surprise guest on. Well, in 2019, I wanted to have Thomas Rhett, and I, I thought that'd be the coolest surprise. I knew he had a real heart for the Lord and all these kind of things, but I didn't, I didn't really know him. So I reached out to his management, couldn't get, couldn't get through. They were still <laughs> caps. They were just like, and I couldn't get any contact. I get there to the day, which you guys will appreciate this and sound people. I'm in the sound check and I'm doing yeah. sound check at the arena and I walk off stage. This is at the day. I've been trying to get old Thomas for about three months. Nothing. I walk off stage. My road manager grabs me and says, Hey, uh, Thomas Rett's here. He'd like to, uh, he'd like, to chat with you and i was just like what and and uh but he's standing backstage and and he was at the, the rehearsing his tour at the annex of the bridgestone arena and he walks over and he says man i heard your voice over the pa unreal and i thought he goes and i just want to tell you how much your music's meant to me oh over um you know i started listening. like he's like i started listening to you and in junior high i was like great and uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh and we, he said, I think we should write songs together and start doing some music together. The next week, I thought, that's really cool. I didn't think I'd hear from him again. The next week, he sends me the song, Be a Light. He said, we should do this song together. And maybe we get some other people on it. What do you think about this? you want to add anything to it? We start working on the song. That that Be a Light happens. Two weeks after that, I'm at down at the beach, vacation, my family. After tour, tour has ended. I walk into a gym to do a workout. There's only one other person in there. It's Tyler Hubbard of Florida, Georgia Line. Shut up. And I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know him. So I walked up and I said, I'm not thinking he knows me. Walking up and said, hey, um, what's up? I'm, my name's Chris Tomlin. And he, I, Jeff, I promise you, he just like, what is, I, I, he just looked at me. He was just like, are you, are you kidding me? I was like, no. I was, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> no. And, and he's like, bro, you don't even understand. This is full circle in my life. And I was like, what? And he said, man the reason I started music was because of you. And I was like, what? And he's like, and he, same thing. He goes, I was a freshman in high school. I started listening to your music. I want to be a worship leader. And I started doing all these things and uh, started leading worship. I got to college. He goes, I can tell you where I was standing 
at in Bridgestone Arena. I can take you to the mo- I can take you to the, to the seat where I was standing. I was a college student. There was this conference called Passion. He's talking to me about like Passion, like I don't know what it is. He yeah, goes, right, con- right. He goes, there's this conference called Passion, and he goes, <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. He goes, you were leading worship, and uh, and uh, he said, and I and I thought this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he goes, and I got to college and I met this I met this guy. And we became this duo. Uh, his name is Brian Kelly, and we started doing this duo of worship on Wednesday nights. We're making hundred dollars a week at this church, and we we're writing country songs at the same time. And the country songs took off. We changed our name to Florida Georgia Line, and kind of the rest is history. And he goes, then we got fame, all the money, everything that comes with it, just exploded. He goes, my life has gone crazy. And he goes, man, God's been doing so so much in my life lately. And I walk in this room and I walk in this morning and it's just you here. And God just reminded me of this where it all started. Wow. I think, I think we should write some songs. We should like do some music together. This is all within two weeks of each other. And I was like, what is going on? I'm not. That's I'm, unreal. And so all these things. So we just started, we really started writing songs together. And Tyler really took this on as like, hey, what if, what if we got some more people involved? And he goes, do you know Russell Dickerson? I was like, <laughs> Like, well, he used to be under the bomb. He was my guitar tech for years on the road, obviously, obviously with me and you, Jeff. And his bunk was right under yours, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. he was yeah, yes. yeah, and his I I've told the story before, but and Russell, if you ever hear this, I just I love it because I remember the first time I ever came out to one of the first festival dates, there's Russell Dickerson getting off the bus carrying this little you know, vinyl Puma bag yes. with a tuner, a, pair, a set of strings, and that was about it. And that was his tech rig. And it, you know, to see what he's doing now is just, it's so great. Yeah. It's so, so gratifying. And the way all these things, these circles just interconnect, it's just, it's incredible. Crazy. It's incredible. Crazy. It's, it guys, that guy's done so much. And so this record, again, just, this is just an amazing collaboration of God putting things together in an amazing way I didn't really see coming, wasn't trying. And so it was really fun to do and to see. And especially in a year where you can't, like it's, you know, when you usually make a new record, you tour, you go out and tour those records. Right. Well, I'm not touring this record, right? It's not like Thomas and FGL and everybody's going to be on my tour. <laughs> right. So, right. In a great, so it was a great year to put something out where it couldn't tour anyway. And yeah. it's really fun to do that. That's wow. hilarious because you're totally right. I would have thought, well, actually, I did think this when that record came out. I mean, like, man, that's so smart. How strategic. Like, that's. That's a great thing. And then not to hear this, like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And I I thought, man, this looks like brilliant. Like managers and labels got together. Oh, this would be a brilliant idea. And it was just none of that. Can you imagine the mess that we caused? Because we we did this without telling our labels or anything. The mess that we caused, guys, (laughs) when we said, hey, we want to put this out as a, like, all together. Because we didn't even know who recorded it. It was that. It was that organic, didn't it? like we were seriously in the studio, literally saying, "Whose record is this? Who's who? Who should be like the carrier of it?" And finally, they said, "Well, Chris, won't you do it? And we'll all just come around you." Kevin came that kind of thing. Was that organic? And then the labels were like, uh, uh, <laughs> "Like, because they're all different labels and they right. all have their own different contracts, and they don't know how to handle it." <laughs> wow. Well, they usually just say, "No, you want to collaborate with somebody? Here's the list. Here's who you get to choose from." Oh, yeah. All the more, all the more indication that God was in the middle of it, because yeah. the fact that it even happened, yeah, because of things like that is a miracle. Yeah, right. But then that everybody would be so open-handed, and the thing, the thing that I love about it when you listen to it is that you can kind of hear that spirit in the songs. Yeah, it just sounds like you guys are having so much fun. It was, and it's because it's not. It, it just sounds so effortless. It just all the songs. It was like, well, that works. 
Wow. Yeah. That's some of the best. That's some of the best stuff Chris has ever put out. It's crazy. It's just so relaxed. And I just, I love it. So congratulations. It's been, it's been awesome. And side note, Stella, come on. Our 14 year old daughter, who, by the way, Stella's 14. Let's pause. Yeah. 14. 14. Going on 24. (laughs) She was going 24 at six. Yeah. Right. She says hi, by the way. Yeah. But the fact that you, her favorite singer of all time, are now paired with 10 of her other favorite singers of all time. She's like, how can I get in the same room with Chris Tomlin and Thomas Rhett? That would be like my dream come true. Well, Chris Tomlin wondered the same thing for a long time. You can let her know. <laughs> That's right. Actually, but I think she would rather be with the two Lawrence. To be with both of your wife and Thomas's wife would be Stella's dream come true there because there that's two of her favorite women in the world so that. anyway i love that that's just awesome um okay i want to talk about y'all's relationship so yeah front of house engineer worship leader mm-hmm. it really we preach this forever chris but now we get like your perspective of it we tell people all the time it's it's way more about the relationship than it is like how good you are like you got to carry that stuff too but and this will this will segue into an opportunity for you to embarrass Jeff. But why don't you tell everybody how bad of a golfer Jeff is? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I got out there and like, so I, I'm like a sports was everything for me, right? Growing up, and so I I am an, an unusual. I think, and it comes to musicians because because musicians usually are just awful athletes, and anybody in music they just can't do anything when it comes to sports. Can't even run basically, you know. And like nobody wants to do anything. I'm out there usually by myself. Um, going to do play play something you know playing tennis by yourself is not that fun and all those kind of things and <laughs> and and play golf i just go play golf well you know jeff shows up in my life and there's somebody that's like well jeff's like i play golf and i'm like ah, yeah right I mean, i'm just like yeah whatever you're a sound guy yeah yeah, yeah. sound guy and you play golf it's like come on goes out there and then, then he shows up left-handed. I'm just like, oh my God, like this is gonna be bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be so bad. And little did I know, just to this day, I've never even got close. Not got, got close to, to beating him. He destroys me every time we play. It is like it's a good humble pie. Because he did That's funny. He is, on the tour, there's no doubt. He is the he is he is all all the time he was always the best player anytime we played anywhere always the best player and just they had that left hand buttercut just like perfect. <laughs> that's funny well one of the things that i always appreciated about chris is that i don't know that there's anybody who's more competitive than chris tomlin and so he would always find a way like i'd feel like okay i got him down like <laughs> you know He's down three holes. This is going to be awesome. And all of a sudden, he'd make a birdie or sink some 50-foot putt. And it's like, <laughs> he's just like, I had to make it. I had, I had to make it. I can't lose. It's funny, though, because that competitive spirit, I, th- I always saw how that played into your work ethic when it came to writing songs. It was like you treated the creative process almost like a sport, like the way an athlete would prepare and, mm. you know, a daily pursuit of just sitting down and making making these songs work. It's it's almost a similar skill set where it's like, no, we're just gotta dig in and work hard. And, you know, it's almost like training. Making a record was like you being, you know, in the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think with I appreciate you saying that. And for me, one of the big parts of I think songwriting that that 
for me is always going back and trying to better it. I'm trying to make it better. Like not just saying, Oh, I wrote this song. Now check it out. But like, okay, it'll be, I'll sit with it. And then just like, okay, I think I can make this. I think this can be better. I always can be better. Just like, just, just like in sports, it's like, man, yeah. Okay. You never like, you never conquer it. Right. You just keep working at it and working and working at it. And I think that with songs, I'm always working at it. I'm always working on these songs, trying to make them better. Like I feel like yeah. I got, got them in a place and then, and, and then, you know, it's like, Oh, I think the verse can be better. And then I think we may have to tweak this, tweak that. So I'm, I'm always working at it like that, thinking through like, how do I make this the best I can? Because we're, we're, we're making these songs, right. For God. I mean, we're, this is for worship. Right. And this is like, yeah. there's nothing greater than, um, than, than this, than this moment to write about. And so why not do it with the most excellent you can do it? And that's, that's, that's for me for, I'm always trying to work to be the very best I can at that. Yeah. Well, that showed up even over the years, like over the years of touring, when we would do some of the same songs year after year, there was always a tweak to the arrangement or always a different, you know, version or a different key or a different part that was like, okay, how can we make, yes, Oh, Amazing Grace, my chains are gone, even better. How can oh. we make Jesus Messiah feel a little bit different this time? Yeah. You know, the world edition of How Great Is Our God. It's like, well, that's just awesome. Yeah. You know, so it goes from what's on the record to how it comes off live five or six years later can be totally different. But yeah. because the song at its core is a great song, you know, people experience worship in a new and fresh way because yeah. we're trying to make it better and better and better over time so yeah. that's that's great yes exactly and i love i love the mo i love the live moment right with people because it's always it's always new and, and even though i may have sung the song thousands of times you know for that moment singing my chains are gone or something but those people at that moment is really that's that's a one-time thing and yeah really special yeah chris i think you'll appreciate this and, and i want to get your thoughts on it but jeff tells a story to a lot of our tribe like when he's mixing a Chris Tomlin concert, he has a goal in mind. And it's not, how do I have the greatest sounding snare drum? Although that's really great. That's a great thing. And do. although he is the best at that. Yes. <laughs> we've had many, we've had, I've had many uh, engineers since. And it's always like, hey, Jeff, what'd you, what'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> Jeff sounds so good. Yeah. But his goal, what he tells people is he would be mixing and find a dad somewhere in the arena with mm. his hands in his pocket and mm. a glare on his face. Mm. And how can Jeff partner with you and the band on stage in a way to get that dad's hands, maybe even just out of his pockets, <laughs> maybe yeah. even just up a little bit. Yeah. And just, so that was Jeff's goal from beginning of the night to the end of the night, like find one person and how do we get them to experience God in a way they hadn't before, even if it's just hands out of the pocket. Yeah, and having somebody connected, um, you know, Jeff, obviously Jeff was with me the longest of anybody that's ever been sound. And that was for a reason, you know, because I mean, that having someone that you felt like was an extension of you out there, wasn't just doing a job, but was in it as much, was the worship leader as much as you are. That is, I mean, that is so rare. And if, if there was more people who had that kind of heart, I think for all the, you know, for those of you who are listening to this, if you could just grab that kind of heart, that kind of attitude of like, man, I am, because I always think about it, man, especially in front of house, everybody's, everybody's important monitors. I mean, my gosh, that's so hugely important front of house. That is, the, you are in the band. I mean, it does not matter what we are doing on stage. 
it has no, it does not matter at all if you're, because if it's not in the hands of someone who is, feels responsible for it and, and can help it translate in a way that really connects with, uh, you know, with people in such a special and and help people worship God. And Jeff has that ability. It was always that heart. And that comes from, that not only comes from a great technical mind and understanding and ears and all those things, that's great. Um, You know, I can write songs and I, I know how to play guitar and to sing and a little bit and to write songs, but that, that a lot of people can do that. It's a difference of helping people worship God is a whole different thing. It's an attitude. It's a place of humility. It's a place of this is, this is not about me. This is bigger than me, all those kind of things. And, um, and so I, I think that that's such an incredible extension of, you know, of just so grateful for what, uh, for for that and, who, and what Jeff and Jeff does because that is the, that's the key and that's probably why I like that you guys are doing this the most is because you both understand that in a way and help people you know that's that's a difference maker. There's a lot of people out there that can run sound, but there's not a lot that have that kind of heart of ministry and helping people get it and worship God. And what is that? And that what does that look like at, at a time? And man, you're creating you're setting the tone. You're creating the atmosphere with the way you. You know, I mean, it can be really distracting if you don't have the right person out there. You can it, it can all go just so bad. It can you can be doing so amazing on stage and it can just be all feedback out in the house. And you don't even you know, and it can be so distracting um, and not help people. So it is just as important as the drummer, just as important as the guitar player, just as important as a singer is having that is having someone like the both of you who's running the sound and helping people get it, helping people understand what this is what this is all about, creating an environment, creating an atmosphere, a way for people to connect. Well, that's awesome. That's well said, and thank you for your kind words about me. But I think, you know, a lot of people kind of struggle with this sometimes, especially in the the relational side and how do you start that trust relationship between mm-hmm. the worship team and the production team, or maybe how do you cast vision that they're all the same team and that we're all worship leaders. So, I mean, those reminders are so important because for the guy who's struggling, it's like, okay, maybe it's maybe it's more about what happens outside of the rehearsal, outside of the heat of the moment of a sound check, where you're connecting relationally with your worship leader to go, okay, how can we partner together to have this kind of trust relationship? Because I do you know, for the, for the sound guy who says, man, I do want to kind of lead worship in what I'm doing here. It's not just a technical thing. Help me kind of partner with you in that. And maybe that conversation has never happened for some of our guys. And so just that from a position of, you know, open-handedness and humility, like you said, you know, that could start a long road toward building that bridge mm-hmm. it's communicating man it's communicating together it's really like you said it's having a partnership and a friendship that's so that is that man it's it's so integral i love that you're doing this i love you guys are doing this and helping people because this is so so needed awesome thanks well on the technical side i've got to get you to tell one story because i'm sure that our guys would love to hear about one of the very first Chris Tomlin moments of leading worship at a camp for high schoolers. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about your, you know, way before pro presenter, way before confidence monitors, how you had a great technical solution for your index cards and how that changed the game for Chris Tomlin. 
<laughs> yes. So the very first, one of the very first things I, I led, I, I knew nothing about anything. I mean, completely. And I, and so I didn't really have a lot of music. I, was, I, I didn't know a lot of songs. And I, and this guy called me um, that was speaking at the camp and his name was James. He had this really deep voice. He said, Chris, my name is James. So, hey, James, how you doing? He said, um, I'm calling you because I've, I've, I'm doing, I'm speaking at this youth crusade and you are, I see that you're doing the music. I was like, yes. He said, I've never heard of you. That's why I'm calling you to see who you are and who I'm partnering with. I was like, well, James, the reason you've never heard of me is because I've never done this before. And I'm basically, I'm 18. I live at home with my parents. And uh, um, and um, this is my first one. He's like, okay. He goes, what kind of songs do you do? And I said, well, I don't, I know about three songs. And he's like, um, he's like, okay, can I send you some music? So he sends me this music. He sends me lots of like the worship tapes and CDs. And I was like, okay. So I start learning all these songs and I bring them on note cards and I have like a stack of note cards. And every night I would go on stage before everybody got there. These are all kids my age. And I would put the note cards out on the stage in the order that I was going to do the songs. And so I just kind of put them down like this. And I remember that I would, this is first, this is how I led worship at the beginning. I would take my mic stand, put it in front of the first note card. I look at that song. And I would sing it because I had my, when I had on the note cards, I had the lyrics and the chords above it. I figured it out and I was, and I hadn't really memorized them. And so I would just kind of sing the song. And you're staring down at the floor. I'm never looking at anybody. It, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm down here and I'm like, I remember one of them was, Oh God, you are my God and I will ever praise you. I remember that was one of the note cards. And I was looking at this and then I would finish the song, grab my mic stand. Go to the next note card, start again. <laughs> finish that song. Take my mic stand. After the song is over, never look at anybody. Move down to the end. So you can imagine by the end of the thing, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I have moved down the stage. People are, can you imagine what kids must think? It's like, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like every song, he moves down. They don't even know what I'm looking at. He just moves down after each song. And so you got to play to the crowd, though. You got to, you got to, you know, give the people a little taste of. I started on one side, I ended on the other side, and that's how I started, man. I didn't know what I was doing. It's a beautiful moment that at the end of the end of that week, James Scott, he comes to me, he said, um, "Chris, um, two things." And I was like, "Yeah, man." He said, "One, you have no idea what you're doing," and I was like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> and he said, "And two, you have no idea how God's going to use your songs all over the world." This, I'm 18 years old. I'm, on, I'm looking at note cards. I have no songs. And he said, um, man, I've been praying for you this week. And God just showed me you're going to write. God told me you're going to write songs. And the whole world's going to sing them. And I remember he just looked at me and he puts his hand on my head. And he's just staring at me. And um, didn't say, let's pray. We'll bow our heads. He's just staring at me, puts his hand on my head. He says, God, make Chris a psalm writer. Psalm P.S.A. LM psalm writer for his generation. And wow. man, it was like lightning went through me. And that was the beginning of these, that was the beginning of all of this. And it was an incredible moment. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and fast forward, you know, however, 20 years later, you and I are on a boat in the middle of Africa, driving up to this compassion project in the middle of Uganda. Yes. We get out of the boat and we're walking. I, re I remember this like it was yesterday. You and I are walking down the dock together to this kids' choir, welcoming us by singing How Great Is Our God. 
Yes. Literally on the backside of the planet in the middle of nothing and nowhere. (laughs) And I looked at you and I said, did you ever imagine that this would be a thing in your life? And I remember, I mean, you connect those two stories and it's like God answered not only James's prayer, but answered God's call on your life in this like incredible vivid 3d i mean I, I couldn't believe that this was happening to us incredible man i i mean yeah it's just been the most, it's probably the greatest one most proud of and the greatest privilege of my life is write songs that have gone way past me you know what i mean by that they're not attached to yeah. me anymore so like how great is our god that people these people in singing it and wherever they're singing it they're not thinking i'm singing a chris tomlin song I really don't right. think that. I think it's just a song. It's become the fabric of their of their church, and they don't know who I am. And long after I'm gone, maybe a song like that sticks around. And that's incredible, you know, to think that God would allow me to be a part of something like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Chris, Amazing. we want to honor your time, but I want to wrap up by telling you something that I don't know if you know this or not, but three weeks ago, Sandstrom played Augusta National. He sent me a picture. I wanted to ask about it. I mean, and that is just like I have never, I've never been there. It was it just a dream? Oh my gosh! I'm I still don't have the words. It was like, first of all, I I didn't I wasn't even aware of being conscious until about the eighth hole because I was just <laughs> walking on a dream the whole time. But all of those iconic just scenes and shots and all that. It's like you're on the fairway hitting shots at Augusta National. How's this? How's this possible? I'm glad it was you, man. I mean, you deserve it because you have such a it, you're just a better golfer, better swing. I just I don't I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. I'd be so uh, nervous. It, it, you you would have loved it. I'd find you'd, a way to. I'd find. Yeah, a way. you'd have found a way. <laughs> well, I let him call his wife first and tell her about it, but then he called me, and you know he's telling me everything. And at the end, I went, "Well, how'd you shoot?" Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I mean, I shot an 81." You're kidding. 80, dude, that is so strong. Didn't that? Now the caddy, the caddy saved me at least ten shots because I wouldn't have made a putt if I had not had a caddy. Bro, there's several people in the Masters a few weeks ago who didn't shoot an 81. That's what I said. Let's go. I went. Let's well, go. I went to the ESPN archives <laughs> in the last ten years and pulled up every professional who shot worse than him and sent it to him. And Angel Cabrera, <laughs> Masters champion, has scored worse than Jeff Sandstrom did. Hold on, buddy. You're ready. To be fair, you're ready. to be fair, I'm not playing from the same tees, <laughs> and I'm not playing from the, I'm not playing in the same conditions. But right, right. it was great. Of, yeah, thousands and thousands and thousands. sixty thousand of your closest friends <laughs> staring at you. Millions on TV. Maybe next time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, awesome All right, Chris. Well, thank, thank you so you, much man. for doing thank this. For, uh, yeah, this has been great, and, and I, I, all the best to you guys. I'm glad, awesome what you're doing, and love what you're how you're training people. Yeah. Well, thank you, thanks so much, and please say hi to the girls for us. Obviously, Stella says hi as always. Stella said what's up. <laughs> thanks again, Chris. Okay. Man, Chris Tomlin, everyone, that guy is good. What, what a jerk. <laughs> oh man. So good to reconnect. Did he ever? Did he ever beat you on the golf course? I don't think so. <laughs> You're but, like now, but he got mad when he didn't. I mean, he's so competitive, and he's a good golfer. He is. Yeah, he's a good. People golfer. don't understand how good you are. Well, You're a very good golfer. I do. I do it a lot. Just take that. Just take it. Just take it. Jeff. I will. I'm, I'm taking it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, another good one. Yep, another good one. Enjoyed it a lot. Um, and we're going to see each other in person soon, which is always fun. 
that is. Yeah. And we're going to record a podcast in person this weekend. We are. Yep. Well, thanks as always for tuning in, everybody. And um, if you're not signed up for the MXU live tour yet, get your tickets because they're going fast and we're getting really excited. Surprises coming and exciting things happening every day around here. So can't wait to see you in person so we can have these conversations face to face. See you around, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>